Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Euro Trip, your weekly dose of, I was going to say, your weekly dose of Eurovision fun. <laughs> it is. Hopefully it will be fun. Hopefully that's not a lie. It's not a false promise. No. Hopefully not. Uh, that man that you hear there is James Rowe. Uh, this voice you hear here is me, Rob Lilly. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, Rob. Uh, hello, me. Uh, great to be back. Another fun episode on the way. I am going to reiterate, Rob. Another fun one. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Now, very quickly, to business. You might remember at the end of last week's show, James said, we've got anything we want to ask people, anything we want to ask the listeners. And I said, what's the best thing you have for you dinner? That's what I said. Don't say people have got in touch. I've not been looking. They have, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to say a big thanks to Simon, who humoured me and sent us a message on Instagram. Would you like to hear (laughs) Simon's message? I mean, I don't, but I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Okay. So here's what Simon said. Uh, Simon said, and the the message literally starts like this. Oh, James. (laughs) The shame. How could you not get this week's one second song? iconic, iconic opening bars from one of Spain's best ever entries. Sorry, but your Eurovision credentials are downgraded, winky face. Oh, no. Okay, that's a disappointment. Never mind. Yeah, anyway, it gets better. Uh, But seriously, great podcast as always. Loving the rewind reviews. Hope you extend the series or bring it back later on. Thank you, Simon. Simon finishes his message. Oh, and best foodie outing recently. Here we go. Truffle digestation dinner. Tis truffle season here in Sweden. 
Oh, wow. Well, I've never heard of that dish, actually. So now I'm genuinely interested. If, if somebody said spag ball, if Simon said spag ball, I wouldn't be interested. But that genuinely sounds interesting. I don't know how you say this word. I don't think truffle degestation is a, is a dish. I think it's like a theme. It's like a thing. Ah, okay. Well, I'm clearly not as clued up as you or Simon are. So I think I might need to try it. But I think we now can officially call ourselves, as well as the world's favourite Eurovision podcast, potentially the world's most middle-class Eurovision podcast, because <laughs> we've mentioned truffle dinners very early on in today's episode, which I'm a big fan of. So, Simon, thank you very much. Hopefully the only time we get called a middle-class podcast. <laughs> Let's get to this week's episode, then, of the Eurotrip. As Jonal Asano always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job, but it's part of me. Giannis, let me say... We were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. <laughs> I remember! So Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, But it is cute. beautiful as well though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, Rob. Me, James. And this week, we are rewinding the clock to the year of my birth as we celebrate another iconic Eurovision year. And this time, it's Eurovision 1993. For a moment, I thought you were going to say celebrate the year of my birth. Celebrate the life of Rob Lilly. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. Although I, I hadn't quite realised it was the year of your birth, which makes it even more exciting. But no, 1993, it's going to be 30 years next year since that iconic contest. And what an iconic contest it was. Uh, so many great stories to go along with it. And we're going to be deep diving into everything about it, telling you about some of the stories, we're going to be sharing some of the music with you, and we're going to be chatting to some of the most well-in-the-know people to do with 1993. So that includes some of the artists. Uh, we've got Gordon Roxburgh back. He's a great Eurovision historian, author of the Songs of Europe book series that we've relied heavily on, um, full disclosure. Uh, and we'll also be chatting to the host of that year's contest as well to take you deep under the skin of 1993. You need to stop saying under the skin. You really do. <laughs> uh, we'll also be hearing from the winner. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. So we'll also be hearing from the winner of 93 as part of Rewind this week. So that's all very, very exciting. And that'll be on the way shortly. And also this week on the podcast, we are heading down under. Yes, indeed, we are. We are heading to Australia. We are chatting all things Australia Decides. And the fact that that Eurovision selection show will not be returning for the 2023 season. Australia opting for an internal selection for Eurovision in Liverpool this year. There's a few familiar names in the frame as well, so we'll be chatting all about them. And I do believe we've got another one of your unusual Eurovision encounter stories. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. This is indeed the Euro trip. Thank you for being here. And for the first time, James, welcome to my bedroom. Oh, wow. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm recording from a little pillow fort in the bedroom because, just to let you in to a little secret, listeners, we are recording at lunchtime which is not often when we record. We normally record in the evening. And also my fiance is at home and she's using the living room, which is where we usually record. Uh, so I'm, I'm, in our, I'm in our bedroom 
Uh, yeah, and a little pillow fort. So uh, welcome, welcome along. Uh, just prove them in my bedroom. Hold on, let me see if you can hear this. Bedside table, there you are. Wow. Uh, and for full disclosure, I'm not in his bedroom. We we never we're never together when we do this. So yeah, I'm definitely not in his bedroom. Um, you mentioned we're recording at lunchtime. For the question you're going to ask, cheese and ham panini. Oh, very good, very good. I have got, and this is just going to up our middle class credentials even more. Uh, homemade butternut squash and aubergine roasted salad. God, honestly, you really do fit that West London bill, don't you, Rob? I really, really do. Although I haven't had it yet, so hopefully we can crack on with this and then I'll get to enjoy that in a little while. Well, let's crack on indeed because we've got a lot to pack in. We'll be bringing you Rewind of 1993 soon. We'll also be chatting to Kyriakos about uh, Australia Decides. But first, Rob, are we going to call back to something we did last week? We certainly are. Yeah, Kyriakos from Aussie Vision on the way with Australia Decides and all the latest Eurovision news as well, of course. However, yes, last week on the podcast, you may remember we were asking for your odd encounters with Eurovision stars. Eurovision stars in the wild, if you will. And we got some incredible stories. This all started a couple of weeks ago. You might remember when we heard that Richard, one of our listeners, one of his best friends, used to have Gina G as a landlord, which is still the best story ever. And yes, we are still trying to get that friend on the podcast. However, I would like to bring you a phone call that I had a few days ago now because somebody got in touch and said, I've got a story. Can I tell it? And often, James, when somebody says that to us, we say, yes, please do come on board and (laughs) share all with us and the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And this is somebody we uh, we know already. It's um, Hopefully he is already a listener. I think he is. Am I right in saying that? But also he's got a very special job uh, involved with Eurovision too. We do indeed. It's Ahmad Haloun and he is responsible for all things press and PR for the Czech Republic at the Eurovision Song Contest. So naturally, he's a person we were talking to a lot in the run-up to the 2022 season when we had We Are Domi, of course, on the podcast for our Domi Diary. Now, to give you a little bit of context, Ahmad is going to tell you a story here of what happened when he arranged a gathering of the previous three Czech Republic representatives at the Eurovision Song Contest. So we are talking Lake Malawi, we are talking Benny Cristo, and we are talking We Are Domi, of course. This all happened a few months ago, and it's safe to say that he facilitated a few odd Eurovision encounters himself on one evening in the Czech capital. He'll also mention Christoph. Christoph is the Czech Republic's head of delegation. But Ahmad, take it away. I'm not going to say it was miscommunication. It's just like a bit of misinformation, okay? This happened on September, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, end of September. I was planning uh, a trip to, to, to Prague because obviously we were finalizing some details on how is it going to be ASCZ for next year. So I sent a message to everyone. Hey, guys, I'm going to be on Prague for one day. You know, it was like a one-day trip. So I would appreciate if whoever is around, let's do it. And everyone started to say, you know, Lake Malawi, the guys of Lake Malawi, they're like, okay, Ahmad, yeah, let's amazing. Let's just meet up. And we are done. We're like, yeah, we really want to see you. And, you know, we miss you. And Benny was like, this is what I need before the, the concert. Yeah. But Ahmad, I just really want a low-key place that, you know, many people are not going to recognize me. But, you know, me being the homosexual that I am, and I was like, okay, I think a gay spot can be easy. No one's going to lose their mind for a rapper uh, or in- an indie band. 
The issue is that I found a spot and it had little, you know, few pictures. And I thought, okay, I think this place with not many pictures is because it's chill. Okay. You know, I go for dinner. Crystal tells me, okay, Ahmed, I'm ready. Let's, or I told him, I'm really close by. I'm having dinner. Comes Christoph, comes uh, Albert uh, and Jeronim from Lake Malawi. Hi, Ahmed, we finished dinner. And there's like, okay, let's go to the bar. We're walking to the bar. And you know, we open the door of the bar and it has stairs. It was like dungeon-like bar. And I was like, it's okay. At the moment that we had two doors, we go through the first door after the stairs and we open the second one and the smell hits of ranch, alcohol, weird stuff. It smelled like gene and regret. At the moment that we entered to this place, everything just went, because we were, you know, talking and smiling and laughing and we just entered to this place where everyone was so quiet and everyone just like, turned their heads and they see us. And there were people, you know, on fetish wear, kind of like the, the the bartender. And it had like a really small sofa. And that was all of it. Because inside there was another space for people to do their business. And we're just like, oh shit, I think this is the wrong place for our, you know, delegation meeting. This is I not mean, the vibe we're after. Yeah. Me, because I was on how you call it, um, roaming. I send a message. Hey guys, we're literally in the bar beside it. Message never sent. And then after that, the person that goes there was Casper and Ben. And when they open, they just see it. And there's like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> they go back and just like, what did Ahmad do? They were scared that we were inside. I was like, we're obviously not inside the, the, the thing. Then they call Christoph and Christoph says like, oh, no, no, we're, we're in the bar next to it. They sit with us. And for us, we actually just forgot, you know, the rest of the people coming. We, we, we forgot to tell them because I thought I sent the message and they didn't read it. Next person to show up on that bar is Benny Cristo, who is huge. And everyone was like, oh, just look where Benny Cristo walked in. And he's like, Ahmad, what did you do? I, I said a low-key place. I want to relax before my concert. And I was like, sorry, 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 sorry. Worst thing, Dominica and Carolina haven't arrived. Oh, no one no. has told them anything. And they are both entering together to this bar. And everyone just stared at the girls on that type of bar. And then the guys tell them, I'm sorry, but I think your friends left. <laughs> the people that you're looking for, they're not here. <laughs> What on earth is that? Goodness me. I can't even imagine what was going through any of the, their heads <laughs> during that encounter. What on earth? It's really good, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much to Ahmad for sharing that. And I didn't think that we would hear tale of a Prague fetish bar on the podcast today. <laughs> Lest one involving the previous three Eurovision artists who represented the Czech Republic at the Eurovision Song Contest. But can you imagine the faces of the people in that bar? <laughs> this is my favourite part of this story. Imagine that you are there, 
just heading on down to the fetish bar in Prague that you often like to frequent. You sat down there having a cocktail. I don't know what you have. And uh, yeah, Benny Christo just just turns up. Or Ben and Casper from We Are Dommy, I think, is my favourite. Just obviously knowing them a bit more than the rest of them and just knowing that, I don't know, how wonderfully awkward the pair of them are a little bit. The idea of them walking (laughs) into that bar is just incredible, isn't it? Oh, honestly, I don't know how to react to that. I heard that along with you listening at home for the first time just there. And honestly, hopefully your head was in your hands at the, the same time as mine were. Oh, my goodness. Can you top that? Can anybody top a story like that? Because I'd love to hear it if you can. Uh, we're at Eurotip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or hello at EurotipPodcast.com. Do you get in touch if you have some weird and wonderful, peculiar Eurovision encounters? We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? When you think a message is sent, it turns out it hasn't. Although not often have mine involved consequences like those that you've just heard on. <laughs> anyway, it is time for the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. And delivering said information this week, James, I think you are sat at the news desk, are you not? I am indeed. Shuffles the papers. Although the papers, uh, I haven't got a lot of them today because it seems like the world of Eurovision has been fairly quiet over the last seven days. I've only got a few bits, but I'll keep you up to date. I'll start with the Junior Eurovision Song Contest, uh, which is taking place next month in Yerevan in Armenia. The 30-day mark has been and gone, and also the construction of the stage has begun. So we got the design of it early in October, and the construction of the stage at the sports complex in Yerevan has begun, which is a, a sure sign that uh, the the contest itself is just a matter. I'm gonna. I was gonna say it weeks, a matter of days away to to get the juices flowing a little bit more. Uh, on to Eurovision, though, uh, another event in December, actually, uh, Albania, Festivali Kengis, which is their national selection over in Albania. The dates of those have been revealed. So we're going to have shows between the 19th and the 22nd of December. So a nice Christmas treat. And that's when, a, when we're going to get the next artist for Eurovision next year. We may well get one at some time before then. But the next one penciled in the diary is going to be in Albania. So a nice Christmas national selection to look forward to. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, I never like to correct any person sat behind the news desk. I'm pretty sure we get Ukraine's song for, for Eurovision 2023 before that, don't we? I think Vidbeer is, is, is a couple of days before that. I think the Ukrainians have just got ahead there. I think you might be right. As Simon said at the start of the podcast, my Eurovision credentials have been downgraded and clearly my knowledge... on the floor now. (laughs) My knowledge has gone down with it. Let me try and get something right at least. Uh, A couple more bits of uh, national selection news. In Serbia, the the deadline for, for singers to submit their songs for the national selection has been extended. It was going to be as you're listening on Wednesday, yesterday, November the 15th, but that date has been extended until December the 1st. So if you are a budding Serbian singer and want to represent your country at Eurovision next year, then you've got a few more days, a few more weeks uh, to submit your song. Uh, that national selection will be taking place in the spring of next year. And also Romania. 
Selexia Nationale 2023 uh, has begun, or at least the song submissions window has opened. Um, and they will be open until December the 11th. So similar time to Serbia, that's when their submissions are going to close. And by then, it's interesting, isn't it, when we get these dates, when we get the d- date of December the 11th for Romania, we know that the song for Romania has has been recorded in a way we kind of somebody will already have heard a Eurovision song for next year I mean chances are someone out there has already heard and this is weird to say the Eurovision winner of 2023 oh don't say that oh that that uh, that's a concern isn't it oh that makes the the time sort of feel like it's going to be coming and going quicker than nothing at all coming and a going yeah coming you're not, and a going coming and a going you're not wrong yeah well thank you for all the latest news there I, I saw some news that dropped just before we start recording i think your friend and mine we had him on the podcast a few months ago maybe slightly longer ago than that uh victor crone remember him represented estonia a few oh, yeah. years ago and uh yeah he did melfest I, I, I think i think uh rumor has it but he's doing melfest again in 2023 Oh, interesting. It won't be long until we get the, the full names list, actually, for, for Sweden. And when it does drop, rest assured, we'll be covering it uh, here on the Eurotrip. We certainly will. But now we move on to a national selection show, which is not taking place as part of the 2023 season. You will have seen the news, of course, that Australia decides is no more, or at least it is no more for next year. So there is no big show, big party down on the Gold Coast. Unfortunately for all of the Australian Eurovision fans, I know that it is a huge event, one that the Australian Eurovision community look forward to every single year, but SBS, the Australian broadcaster, going for an internal selection this year. Now, of course, internal selections in the past have brought them some of their best results at Eurovision, of course. Their first entry back in 2015, Guy Sebastian, Dami Im coming so close, of course, the following year, both internal selections. What will it mean for 2023, though, well, there is one man that we had to ask. He is Kyriakos Sinovitz from Aussie Vision, of course, our pals down under. And I started by asking Kyriakos what he made of the news that Australia decides would not be returning this year. It was a bit of a surprise, actually. I have to admit, the first reaction I had was absolute devastation. <laughs> I was a wreck. Um, I think we we're just waiting so long for some news, and uh, we didn't think it would be cancelled. There was definitely a lot of chatter that things were being probably worked out behind the scenes. And uh, also uh, for Australia at Eurovision, um, 2023 is actually a very big year. Uh, It'll be 40 years that Eurovision uh, will delight our TV screens on SBS. So I think for me, I think there was an expectation that we'll get something big and special. But then to find out Australia decides isn't going ahead. Yeah, it was a little bit devastating. I've seen so many, you know, fellow Australian fans like yourself who have taken to Twitter since this news came out. And there is that sadness because it seems like Australia decides for you Australian Eurovision fans, like it was the only thing that you could like own as your own thing and going to the Gold Coast, going to the show, all the Australian fans from across what is, of course, a ridiculously huge country coming together and you guys getting to kind of party all in one place was a really special moment in the calendar. And, and you know, for that not to happen next year, that understandably is, is really sad. Yeah, exactly. It was our like little mini Eurovision. Like it really felt like Eurovision, especially to some of us that haven't been to Eurovision yet, especially a lot of the younger fans that can't afford to go overseas uh, to to go to Eurovision, but can afford to go to the Gold Coast. And there's hundreds of us that 
uh, what, three times now have gotten together um, for Australia Decides, uh, talked about Eurovision and uh, celebrated, uh, yeah, the contest that we love so much on the Gold Coast. And yeah, we're not going to get that now. So I think there was a part of that, not seeing uh, the people that uh, are all spread around the country, not getting to see their lovely faces uh, was a little bit devastating as well. What does the decision to to scrap Australia Decides for 2023 have on kind of the the normal TV viewer and the interest in Eurovision from your regular Australians who, you know, they might tune in to Australia Decides and Eurovision, but they don't have much interest in Eurovision outside of that. I mean, is this a decision that will impact Eurovision's ability to gain more fans over in Australia, do you think? I don't think it will make an impact. So interestingly, last year, um, the Australia Decides uh, ratings actually dropped a little bit. Um, but then the Eurovision ratings went up. It was like one of our highest in in, in a while. Um, so I think uh, the momentum will still be there. So that's the fingers crossed that like SBS then just uh, go full steam ahead with our promo for May next year. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Australian viewers will still be uh, barracking for Australia and uh, watching Eurovision like they always have. And like you said, 2023, really important year for Australia. 40 years since Eurovision was was first shown on TV screens out there. So you'd hope for a a bang in, in 2023, really, and a really strong result, which comes on to, well, at the time that we're talking, of course, we've got a long time to go, but who might represent Australia at Eurovision in 2023. There appears to be, Kyriakos, a few names out there. And one of the big yeah. names that keeps coming up time and time again is, of course, the woman that bought Australia their best result ever at the contest, which is Dami Im. Yes, uh, Dami Im definitely has some unfinished business. Um, she released a book uh, very recently called Dreamer, and uh, I finished reading that. And uh, you definitely get a sense that she's ready to come back to Eurovision and uh, give it her like a thousand percent and uh, actually she has actually mentioned on social media now um through our socials on uh instagram that she's putting a, a hand up to want to be selected uh for next year so uh, it's great to see um her wanting to uh yeah getting excited for 2023 i'm sure that's going to get lots of fans listening very excited the prospects yes. of uh, of dummy back on the eurovision stage Kyriakos, just before we finish up, are there any other names who maybe you'd like to see? I mean, for me personally, someone like Jaguar Jones would be great, who, of course, we've seen at Australia Decides a couple of times now. Is she someone who you think could go for it again? Or or is there another name out there who, who you'd like to see? As of this recording, actually, Jaguar Jones has also put her hand up. So on Twitter, she mentioned that she definitely wants uh, to be considered uh, to be in the running for 2023. And even Shepard from Australia Decides 2019 have also said they put their um, hat in the ring and want to be considered as well. So those are the three, uh, include Dami Im, those are the three names that are out there so far. Um, like Dami Im and Jaguar Jones have been good ambassadors um, for Eurovision, just like Sheldon was. And I think that's really important uh, to send an artist that understands the contest and knows what they're getting themselves into. Um, and, and yeah, just is there to uh, do their best to represent Australia. So, yeah, very exciting times at the moment while we wait to see who else uh, shows their interest. Kyriakos, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, Rob, and I uh, really appreciate the work that you and James have been doing uh, with uh, Eurotrip. It's been fantastic. Brilliant, Kyriakos. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Lovely to hear from Kyriakos here on the Eurotrip this week. Does he get classed as one of the boys from Aussie Vision? Whenever we talk about Mike and Dale, they're the boys. Is Kyriakos allowed to be within that group? 
I think Kyriakos is allowed to be with the boys. Yeah, at the end of the interview, I said to him, I said, thank you to you, to Mike and Dale, and to Liv and the rest of the Aussie Vision team. Okay. I think they're the key, the key Aussie Vision players. I don't know. We're deciding who the key Aussie Vision <laughs> players are on a podcast here that has nothing to do with Aussie Vision. Just basically, Aussie Vision, thank you for everything you do. Keep it up. And uh, yeah, for all of the latest news, I guess, on Australia Decides, because those guys have a brilliant in with SBS and the team over there, then head over. You can uh, take a look, AussieVision.net, and obviously also find them on socials as well. Indeed. And uh, just for the for the sake of balance, make sure you check us out on uh, EuroTripPodcast.com and we're on socials too, <laughs> at EuroTripPodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Eurotrip. Your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. At Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, for avoidance of doubt, check us out first, eurotrippodcast.com, then go there. Just make sure you head to us first. That sounds right, doesn't it? That's okay, I can say that. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay, well, on the podcast now, though, and you won't find this on Aussie Vision. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm kind of joking, I'm kind of not, because you wouldn't, but that's because they're doing something else. It is time for... Something we've been doing over the last few weeks. We are celebrating, James, another year, another iconic Eurovision Song Contest. I think you really wanted to say it this week, so go on. Let's rewind. So as we always do then, let's set the scene for you as we celebrate 1993. Now, what was the world like? John Major was entering his fourth year as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Manchester United will become the first champions of the newly created Premier League. And George Michael, Lisa Stansfield and Queen were on top of the UK charts when Eurovision hit our screens. All three of them. Yeah, Kel Surprise. I don't know what that song is. I didn't know what number one was last week when we did 2004. I don't know what that one is. Clearly, my pop music knowledge uh, of, of these eras is is lacking. Isn't I mean, in your defence, you weren't alive in 93. That is true. That's true. That's my defence. Um, but on the topic of Eurovision, Ireland was gearing up to host the contest on the back of their win the previous year with Linda Martin. This was due to be the fourth time that the nation had hosted the Eurovision Song Contest. But it wasn't going to be any ordinary edition of the contest in 1993. No. Now, due to the breakup of Yugoslavia, more countries than ever before were wanting to take part. So the first ever pre-qualifying round took place in the April of 93, with seven countries vying for just three places in the main contest. 
Your Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, good evening and welcome to the Studio One of TV Slovenia, where is to be held this year's pre-selection for the Eurovision Song Contest. It's my pleasure to be your host tonight and to wish you all watching us now in Bosnia and Herzegovina, Estonia, Croatia, Hungary, Romania, Slovakia and Slovenia, as well as in Denmark, Portugal, Spain and Cyprus, a pleasant evening of music. Yeah, that's kind of the first ever Eurovision semi-final, I guess. It is. You know, last week we did 2004, where it was the first official Eurovision semi-final. But I guess this one, in inverted commas, was a Eurovision semi-final, wasn't it? Yes, as you heard in the clip there, that was taking place in Ljubljana, the Slovenian capital. All seven looking to take part in Eurovision for the very first time. And in the end, it was Slovenia, Bosnia and Herzegovina and Croatia who qualified from the pre-selection and would go on to join the other 22 countries for the Eurovision Song Contest of 93 in Ireland. But whereabouts in Ireland? Now here's Ireland's representative from that year, Neve Kavanagh, talking about a businessman from the small town of Mill Street. It was a real stroke of genius by Noel C. Duggan. He just said, why, I'll give you the venue for free. Now, it cost him a fortune to hold it there because <laughs> they had to put the infrastructure in and he got all of the roads done around and the, the railway station was... He absolutely future-proofed his town by doing it. But the thing about the one in 1993 is it wasn't in a city. It was basically in a town of about 1,500 people. There was less people living in that town that ended up at the gig, right? And actually, people felt like they really lived Eurovision completely for a year and for that whole week if you went to that Eurovision you were a part of something that was very separate when it goes into cities as wonderful as it is that it's also absorbed by the city and the city is still existing and all that other stuff is still going on nothing else was going on except Eurovision an incredible story James and I think one of the most iconic venues that Eurovision's ever been in purely because it was a surprise to both the location and everyone else that Eurovision ended up there in the first place yeah, I don't think Neve mentioned it there, but this was literally an equestrian centre in the middle of nowhere. The, the town had 1,500 people living there, and it, clearly the, the population of the town more than doubled when Eurovision actually came along. It was just a bonkers place. You wouldn't get that nowadays, would you? You definitely wouldn't. No, absolutely. The only thing I can try and compare it to is remember when we had Eurovision in Harrogate in 82? Over yeah. In, over in Yorkshire? It's not similar. Harrogate much bigger than Mill Street. But the Eurovision come to town, as we've already said, a huge deal for this tiny town in Ireland. And it took a lot of work to get it Eurovision ready. So we mentioned him earlier on in the episode. He's back. It's Eurovision journalist and historian. Here's Gordon Roxburgh. The arena, talk about, I think it took about three and a half thousand, which compared to sort of 10,000 look at nowadays. I think one of the venues that was in contention for 2023 failed the criteria because the roof was too low. Well, similar thing kind of happened with the Green Glens Arena. It wasn't quite big enough, so they had to actually dig down, so dug down into the floor in order to increase the overall height. So that was their solution. Isn't that mad? They lowered the floor of the arena so that the roof was high enough. I would never think of doing it that way. I think I'd always think of building up, but they, they dug down. Honestly, the things that had to be done to make that Eurovision go ahead beggar's belief, doesn't it? But remarkably, despite all of that, Eurovision did actually get underway in 1993 at 8pm on the 15th of May. Her name is Vanula Sweeney. 
And she's 28 years of age. She's from Belfast. And she will address all of you in three languages, Gaelic, French, and, of course, the main language of communication, English. The thing with the, the speaking of the languages was I was pretty proficient in French and um, Irish as well. These were all rehearsed. And so, you know, the, we, we had prepared what we were going to say. And so I had rehearsed it. So I, I knew I was pretty much on top of it. I think the thing with live television that you can't prepare for is are those situations, for example, like, you know, the jury is not calling in when they're supposed to or something happening on stage and going wrong. So uh, as as uh, immodest as it sounds, the languages didn't really were the least of my concerns because that was the one thing I knew I could rehearse. Very impressive, isn't it? How she just kind of took that all in her stride. Yeah, honestly, remarkable, isn't it? I remember I watched that. Uh, I watched the contest back and when Terry introduced her and said she was doing it in three languages, the first solo presenter for about five years, I think. I was thinking to myself, blimey, what a task that must have been. But uh, quite clearly, it wasn't at all. That was uh, Fanula Sweeney, by the way, the presenter of Eurovision 1993. I managed to catch up with her the other day for this. And she has so many great memories from that contest. And one of them is the fact that it didn't really bother her <laughs> that she had to do it all solo in three languages. Remarkable. Yeah, great work from you securing Fanula to chat to us for this edition of Rewind. Really good job. It's probably about time that we focus on some of the music, though. And we will start with the Swedish entry that year. Which, of course, if you're a Melody Festival and fan, I'm sure you're quite familiar with. That's right, Melfest veterans, Arvin Garner, as I think many of us say, or Arvingana, as uh, the Swedish would say, <laughs> uh, were representing Sweden in 1993 with the amazing song, in my opinion, Eloise, one of my all-time favourites, and have since competed in the national final a further five times, most recently in 2021. Yeah, they are always a brilliant addition to Melody Festival, and I always look at them as kind of Sweden's take that. Is that about right, do you think? Yeah, I think so. They're sort of like the they're also like the 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 comforting dads or uncles in the yeah. family where you kind of you, you see them and you think ah, that's okay. We're in safe hands now. Absolutely. No, you really really do. Now, shall we move on to song 18? So from Sweden, we move to Bosnia and Herzegovina, and they of course were also making their Eurovision debut as we heard earlier on. They qualified from that special pre-selection held in Slovenia. Well, here's Gordon Roxburgh once more. Well, yeah, I mean, Bosnia were one of the three that did qualify through that Eastern European qualifier, but they were still at war at the time in the civil war that's gone in Yugoslavia. But uh, they were determined to participate, and certainly the artist managed to catch the flight, and unfortunately the conductor wasn't able to make it, so the one conductor short, and uh, Noel Keelahan took on conducting duties for, for the Bosnian entry. And one of the things that has been observed was for uh, a group of singers who are supposedly from a war zone, they were remarkably very well dressed.
job was just to bring our story to the living rooms of the ordinary people so they know what's going on in Bosnia. And I think we were very successful because we had such a huge media attention. And we were able to articulate basically why did we come there uh, and what is our mission and what our song represents. At the same time, we didn't look for a pity, we didn't look for a charity, we didn't look, I mean, you know, for, a, for to, to, to create sorrow or something like that. We wanted to be professional every step of the way. And I think uh, 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 the, the, the best satisfaction was that we won basically Grand Prix for the best dressed. So that was Mohamed Fazlagic, uh, better known as Fazla, chatting to me about representing his country. Interestingly as well, he mentioned what, uh, what Gordon said as well, that they were very well dressed, despite coming from a country that was at war. Um, so I asked Fazla about this, and he said when he left Bosnia for Eurovision, he spoke to a fashion designer friend of his in Croatia and asked her to put together the best outfit possible. And clearly, she did so. Yeah, the fact that, and I know we'll, we'll sort of cover this in more detail, but the fact that Bosnia and Herzegovina were at the contest in 93 is absolutely incredible. And as you heard from Fazla there, what an amazing, amazing story. But they did it in style, those outfits. You look <laughs> at the pictures from the, from the contest that year, they were all looking really, really sharp. Yeah, they really were. We'll hear a little bit more from Fazla a little bit later on. And also, uh, let me mark your cards for very soon, perhaps later in the week, uh, that that chat that I had with Fazla um, is one of my dream interviews. I've always wanted to chat to him, and I find his story so fascinating. So uh, we are going to bring you that interview in full very, very soon. Yeah, there are, rightly so, and wrongly so, I suppose, some parallels, of course, between Bosnia's participation in the contest in 93 and Ukraine's participation in the contest in 2022. So a really, really interesting conversation, James, that you had with Fazla. And yeah, we are very excited to bring that to you in full because the story of how Fazla and the rest of the group who represented Bosnia and Herzegovina that year got from Sarajevo, went to Zagreb as well as part of the process of recording the song, how they ended up heading to Ireland in the first place and then what happened after that is yeah amazing yeah absolutely fascinating very excited for you to hear that in full but shall we move on to the next song because song number 19 directly after Fazla was the United Kingdom uh, so in 1993, they were represented by Sonia, a name I'm sure you will already be familiar with. Uh, she was a very popular British singer from Liverpool at the time, who'd already scored 10 UK Top 40 singles over the previous few years. And she was selected as the artist to compete in the national final, with the public instead just choosing the song they'd like her to perform. So they weren't choosing the artist in the song, they were just choosing the song. And they overwhelmingly chose Better the Devil You Know. When you listen to it, you can see why I say that, having not heard any of the other songs that were competing in that selection. <laughs> but Better the Devil You Know, one of those European songs that stays with you. And it is so nice, isn't it, to see 
so much of Sonia now when we talk about Eurovision 2023. As a famous Liverpudlian resident and former UK Eurovision artist, I think we will see Sonia plenty more times between now and May next year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, next year is going to be 30 years, isn't it, since 1993? So 30 years since she competed. It's going to be in her hometown. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to move for Sonia, are we, next year? Now, on to the voting then. And in 1993, the voting was still being done, of course, by juries. Televoting, still a few years away. And it was the final year that spokespersons were on the phone rather than in vision, as we're used to now. So when it came to the Bosnian votes to be read out, because of the ongoing war, of course, in the Balkan nation, it was going to be a tricky, but equally a very poignant moment. Well, you know, I'm a journalist by background and I was, you know, as a journalist, I was particularly interested in this story that had been dominating a lot of our headlines. But I think what it really did for me in some way was really make me realise what the purpose of the Eurovision Song Contest was about. But it really, it was an idea post-war that was supposed to help countries, bring countries together with the idea of a live song contest. And although that might seem very far away from the realities of war and the obvious difficulties that were taking place in Bosnia-Herzegovina, it really was in that moment when the line crackled and I said, good evening, Sarajevo, may we have your vote, please, where for a few seconds, or at least a second, but it felt like longer, you didn't know whether they were going to be able to come through or not. And, and they did. And I think the huge applause that went out in the arena that erupted in that moment was that that connection had been made with this place that seemed very far away, certainly very far away from most people in Europe's realities at that time. It's all still to play for. We'll now go to Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Good evening, Sarajevo. May we have your votes, please? Hello, Sarajevo. We're hearing you. Sarajevo couldn't establish connection with Ireland because we didn't have phones and 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 uh, we didn't have basically connection with the with the with the Ireland. I always choked up when I start talking about it. So basically, our jury had to talk to the radio amateurs on the radio, and and the when lady who was uh, leading the Eurovision Song Competition said, "Yes, Sarajevo, we are hearing you." Then and even tonight, I still have goosebumps. I mean, even just hearing it there, it just sort of gives you that overwhelming wave of emotions, doesn't it? Because I don't think we even now can quite comprehend what situ- what the situation was like back in 1993 for, for anybody. Nonetheless, nonetheless, Fazler himself, away from his home country, sitting in the green, waiting for that call to come in from his hometown. I mean, genuinely remarkable. Yeah, I don't think you can, like you said, really comprehend, really put into words just the, the context that that Bosnia and Herzegovina competing in the contest came in. The country was still under siege on the night of the, the contest itself. And, and the fact that we were able to to get through to Bosnia and Sarajevo and, and hear them deliver their votes is is such a an important moment. And and even as important as them, you know, taking to the stage and, and singing their entry, their first ever Eurovision entry that year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sticking with the voting, shall we fast forward on this edition of Rewind to the very last set of votes, which would ultimately decide the winner. Uh, So earlier on in the voting, uh, Fanula Sweeney skipped past Malta uh, because uh, apparently 
there was a problem with the connection to the Mediterranean nation. Uh, so they were going to give out their points last. If the last set of 12 points went to Ireland, then Neve Kavanagh would win. But if they went to the UK, then Sonia would win. Here's how Neve Kavanagh remembers it. That was the most excruciating experience I've ever had in my life. And I've had two children. Luxembourg. Luxembourg. <laughs> Luxembourg. Ten points. Luxembourg. D. Point. Okay, okay. And finally, Ireland. Ah, oh, that's it. It could have gone to us. It could have gone to the UK. It went to Ireland. If Malta had voted in order, we would have won a bit earlier on in the show. So I'm slightly suspicious they weren't able to get through to Malta. I could understand why they might not be able to get to Bosnia. I think they created a bit of television gold. Speaking as the person at the centre of it, I could have done without it. Having said that, it is pretty phenomenal and people still talk about it. It was, it was probably one of the closest votes ever. It feels to me like there were so many tense voting sequence finishes in the years that we've kind of covered here and rewind. But but it seems like that was almost the norm back then. I was going to say, could you imagine? I know we get the the new system of, of points being delivered to us on TV now at Eurovision. But back then, you know, when we were having to get every single point delivered, you would think it would just always be a foregone conclusion. But part of me wonders, I don't know if Neve Kavanagh just mentioned it there, but I wonder if they deliberately delayed Malta at last, just so they could have this really tense finish. What do you think? What, you think the Maltese spokesperson's on the other end of the phone going, no, I can hear you absolutely fine. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> Islander on the other end going, no, got nothing, you're breaking up, I'm sorry. <laughs> loud and clear, we've got you, no, we've got you loud and clear. No, let's leave it to the end, we want the drama. And thankfully they did, because that drama was intense. Uh, so as we heard, it was Neve Kavanagh who went on to win. Let's hear once more from Fanula Sweeney about how she recalls that night. I mean, I think she worked in a bank at the time and the bank took out an ad and all the Irish newspapers on the Monday saying, take the day off, Neve. Uh, and, but she, is, she has the most amazing voice. And I recently saw her on Eurovision, I think it was last year when, when the Dutch hosted it, and she can still reach that incredibly high note that she does in the song. And it's just really a beautiful ballad. And I think that's, you know, very uh, distinctive of Irish songwriting is the ballad, its particular strength. Like I said, James, great job to get Fanula on Rewind this week. Really appreciate that. Fazler also, some incredible memories from Bosnia that you'll hear more in full. And of course, lovely to hear Neve Kavanagh as well, of course, once again. Yeah, absolutely. So Neve Kavanagh, of course, won that year. And then we know Sonia uh, came in second. And then we had Switzerland, Annie Cotton in third, France in fourth, and then Norway in fifth. And then for the record as well, we heard about uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, where Fazler uh, came down in 16th, uh, and Sweden as well, I missed them out, came in 7th place. Very, very nice. Thank you for running us through that final leaderboard. But as ever, there is only one way to finish Rewind for this week. Here is the winner from Eurovision 1993. It's Neve Kavanagh, and in your eyes... My feelings locked inside Made myself an island Tried to take my heart and hide I built a wall around me Afraid of letting go Suddenly and 
When you are listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Another thrilling edition of the Eurovision Song Contest to look back on 1993. Uh, it was the fourth in our series of Rewind. We'll be back with you next week with another edition of Rewind. Absolutely. And as James, you've said earlier on, we are going to bring you your chat with Bosnia and Herzegovina's entry from that year, Fazla, in full as a little rewind bonus coming in the next few days or, or over the next couple of weeks. I'm not quite sure yet. Basically, James is quite busy at the moment, so uh, it'll be with you very, very soon. But just keep keep checking your podcast feeds for that. Absolutely. But before we go, let's do the one second song, the part of the podcast where we play each other the very first second of Eurovision song. And all we have to do is try and guess the artist, the song, the year it competed and the country it was representing. It's me to choose for you this week, Rob. So shall we do it? Let's do it. Let me, please, we're doing this weird this week. Let me, please, hear this week's One Second Song. <laughs> ah, oh, ah, uh, ah, okay. That's a very dramatic opening to a Eurovision song, isn't it? It is indeed. Is it, though, a very memorable opening to a Eurovision song? It's memorable enough, but not memorable enough that I'm certain of the answer, if that makes sense. Let's hear it one more time. Yeah, I think I'm going to get a few points, but I don't know if I'm going to get four points. So basically, James, do you want to remind us of the points on offer here? Yeah, one point per the artist, the song title, the year it competed and the country it was representing. How many do you think you're going to get? Yeah, so I mean, the score's currently me four, James one. So I've got an opportunity to extend my lead quite significantly here. I think I'm going to get definitely two Possibly three, four is definitely a push, I would say. Let's go then. What have you got for us? I I think this is, and I see what you've done with this. I think this is Bosnia and Herzegovina, Eurovision 2016. I think it's Dilal and Dean, and the song is called Something Like... Like Lubavier? Well, you said four might be a posh. I think that's what you said anyway. I was sort of zoned out. Um, <laughs> it was, it was. But you've only gone and done it. Hey! I'm very pleased with that. And I would like to apologise to any uh, Bosnian and Herzegovina listeners because I'm almost certain that isn't how you pronounce that song title. But James, thank you for being generous. Absolutely spot on. So the points are now eight to you, Rob, one to me. Let's remind ourselves of that song. Nemam kome da se vratim, 
Samo tebi vjerujem, dugo već u sve da platim, da ljubav se zaklinje. Ljubav je začarani krug. Bosnia's final entry to date at the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, funny you should mention that. Let me tease ahead as well. I'm going to commit to this, Rob. I'm going to say the full interview that I managed to have with Fazla is going to be with you on Friday. I'm going to commit to it. And within that chat, we, of course, talk about his remarkable journey to even get to Mill Street in the first place. But we also talk about what he is up to nowadays, which may surprise you, and how he is potentially aiming to get Bosnia back at the Eurovision Song Contest, even though there are a few barriers in the way. So you'll have to tune in on Friday to hear all about what's going on there. Yeah, I can almost guarantee as well, if you want to read more about Bosnia's possible future participation in the Eurovision Song Contest, uh, you can head over to eurotrippodcast.com when that bonus episode comes out, because uh, we'll definitely, definitely have got something written about that. So then, we will be back with you in just two days' time for that bonus episode, and we'll be back with you next Wednesday for another regular episode of the Eurotrip. In the meantime, make sure you keep up to date with us online. We're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. And as Rob says, we are at EurotripPodcast.com for any of our exclusive stories. And make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. I can't believe I'm doing this in the bedroom today. <laughs> first time? First time doing it in a bedroom in a while. Recording the podcast, that is. <laughs> Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.